whitetails I've hunted, uh, whether it be East Coast or, you know, Kansas, South Dakota, that type of thing. Those guys, you're depending on a little bit more patterns, taking trails, your stands, potentially trying to pattern these guys. These guys are a little bit different out here, obviously. They got, you know, just big, wide open terrain and they could just go any direction. They have 360 degrees to work with where, you know, some of the other ones are going to get on the trails where it's thicker, you know, the typical whitetail. So in that aspect, yeah, it's very different. I feel Arizona more than I would say most states. If you're willing to get, I don't know, half mile, mile off of the road, you're going to have a lot of these places to yourself. I don't think that backcountry thing is really kicked in here where I'm used to Colorado. You go in eight miles and you got everybody and their brother back there. And now the road hunting thing is a cool thing to do there. So, you know, it's it, it's switched a lot where, or maybe it's just the amount of terrain or uh, public land down here too. Obviously the first thing is what we already talked about a bit, you know, glassing. Really let the glass do the work for you instead of running around and look crazy and they, they see you, they smell you, you know, you're, you're burning energy for no reason. So let the glass do the work. And a good part of that too is I guess it's not chase every buck you see out there. There's high success, you know, there's, you can look at the situation like, is this guy just gonna, you know, is he heading for the next county looking for a doe? Is he spooked? Obviously, is, you know, that's an obvious one. But try to find something that's gonna give you, you know, a decent amount of success. Is he going someplace that's stalkable or that he's gonna bed down? Does it look like he's headed towards some kind of shade? Hunting's a frustrating game. There's no doubt about it. You make stupid mistakes, you know, and there's a lot of things that are completely out of your control. You know, the animal zigs when you're zagging. There's whatever it is. So it's just, it, it eventually turns into a numbers game. You know, it's, uh, if you could get out there, you get better as you get older, right? You know, with experience, but um, we all still screw up. So it's just a matter of staying out there. Be aware, be out there and you're hunting. So make sure, because boy, that off season's long. And you know, there's nothing worse than kicking yourself or knowing that you half-assed it or you know, that you, you didn't give it everything you had. And then you got to sit there for the next, I don't know, whatever, nine months and look back and know the reason you were unsuccess unsuccessful because you really didn't put that effort forth. Hey guys, I want to start off by thanking you for keeping me on the air since 2004. I'm trying to keep everything fresh and keep bringing you content that is both enjoyable and informational. So if you can help me out by hitting me up on Instagram or Facebook and giving me some suggestions for guests, topics, and questions, I'd really appreciate it. Also, you've heard me say this, but please, 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 please take a few moments to give me a review on iTunes. It's so important to keeping me on the air. So if you want this podcast to stick around, please get on there and drop me a line. Lastly, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Been the title sponsor of the show for a long time. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20% on everything they offer. All right, let's get into this next episode. Hi, welcome to Days in a Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about coos deer or cows or however cows deer. I've heard it said 30 different ways, but primarily we say coos deer here in Arizona. We got Fred Bohm on the phone with us and uh, we're going to pick his brain a little bit. What's going on, man? What's happening, John? I appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. So I noticed you have a little bit of an accent. Where are you from originally? <laughs> <laughs> East Coaster originally. I, I, that's I, uh, what I figured because that's something yep. like I hear it. Yeah, born and raised in New Jersey, but uh, I got out of there as soon as I can. Right after college, I, uh, I moved out west to Colorado. Lived there since 2001 and then just became a resident down in Arizona about uh, 
I don't know, about a year and a half ago, something like that. Okay. I thought you were here longer than that. It's only been a year and a half. Yeah, yeah, just a year and a half. I've, I've been hunting Arizona for, I'd say, about, I don't know, 10, 12 years okay. now coming down on that OTC tag. So I've been hunting it a good bit, um, you know, for Upland as well. But no, we, uh, me and the family called uh, Denver home for the longest time. So, but it was time to get out. Yeah. Denver's uh, becoming a little different. Oh, it's bananas. It's, it's crazy. So it, it, you know, it's, I don't know. I feel like an old man saying it, but you know, we, we moved there. It was, it was spectacular, but it just, it grew and it grew and it grew. And it was just, I don't know. It's time with young kids, get on out and uh, get into a little bit of a smaller town. Yeah. Where you're at now, that's, that's small as it comes in, uh, yeah. (laughs) In Arizona anyway. (laughs) Yep. That'll stay that way for a while or hopefully forever. We're hoping so. (laughs) Hopefully forever. So, um, Give us a little quick rundown about yourself, and then uh, we'll kind of jump into some questions. Yeah, you know, uh, like I was saying, born and raised East Coast, uh, you know, grew up hunting, father taught the whole family. It was mainly uh, upland stuff back there, and being in New Jersey, not a whole ton of public land, so it was just orange, uh, you know, sea of orange every hunting season, and, uh, you know, just had that itching to get out west, get to more public land, and did that back in the early 2000s and just got obsessed with bow hunting early in the game and uh and in the backcountry especially so you know been hunting the backcountry with my bow for for quite a few years now and started getting into coos deer hunting um when i started doing that otc tag which you know is phenomenal because everything would shut down in most other states and then the rut was just kicking in in january when the mm-hmm. tag came available so like many other out-of-staters i took advantage of that and then uh, you know over the years just kind of fell in love with it down here and uh, the, the terrain and you know the people everything i don't know everything about it the temperature you know getting out of uh, uh freezing cold winters and snow and stuff like that yeah, moved it, moved it down to Southern Arizona, and uh, been hitting the coos deer hunting even harder, harder than normal now. Yeah. So, I mean, you're you're kind of known for your, I would say, what your photography, or at least the photographs that you take for, of, uh, of your hunting escapades. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You know, got into photography. Gosh, I was probably back in college when I was shooting black and white, and we we're developing our own film, that type of stuff really just before the digital game uh, got huge and just kind of been interested in it originally started, I guess, you know, it started doing that, but then really got involved with it once I started having kids and uh, kind of want to be able to blog a little bit about it. So when my kids got older, they could kind of look back and read a little bit about, you know, my adventures and also inspire other people out there, you know, let, you know, I'm, I'm a, I don't know, blue collar guy, you know, own a business and uh, I work a ton. I'm a family man. So it was kind of the idea behind that too, is also inspire other people, get out there. You know, there's no excuses. Uh, we, we've got this one little short life here and make the most of it. So, you know, whether you have kids, involve them, bring them out there with you. Uh, yeah, yeah I get the whole work, you know, I get the whole work thing and we a lot of us don't have that much time off, but, you know, take advantage of it and squeeze in that time however you can. So the photography kind of came along with that, you know, telling the story of just living that lifestyle, trying to get out there as much as I possibly can and enjoying the things I love to do. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you do a good job of portraying it. So um, I've always been, it. been a fan of your, uh, of the photos and stuff that you take. I didn't, I wasn't aware that you had a blog to be honest with you. I just actually clicked on it right now. 
There you go. Yeah, no, no, most don't. And I, I, I don't keep up with it as much as I do with the photography. It's, <laughs> you know, multiple businesses. And again, yeah, there, there it is. You know, we got to kind of decide on what we're going to spend our time on in life. But no, I, I write a bit, you know, sometimes for the magazines a little bit here and there. Um, but mm-hmm. really the, the passion is the, the photography side of it. That's awesome. So, you know, you've kind of, uh, you've been around the coos deer for a while and been doing some quite a bit of coos deer hunting it's coming up here pretty soon and uh, always get questions people asking me questions about you know what they should be doing and so on and so forth so we'll figure we'll pick your brain a little bit on that stuff and hear your take yeah of course Um, yeah any specific questions fire away yeah let's talk about this is good a, a good one for you because you know what eastern whitetail are like and the coos deer their behavior is not the same yeah they're very cagey uh even more so i think than than an eastern white whitetail but the behavior characteristics are different what are some of the characteristics that or things that they do that you can count on or used to your advantage anyway to score. Yeah. Work. You know, it's, it's depending the time of year you're hunting them, you know? So right now, I mean, we could obviously kind of hone in on what's coming up here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last half of December, then into January. Yeah. They're a good bit different. Absolutely way more cagey than I, than the whitetails I've hunted, uh, whether it be East coast or, you know, Kansas, South Dakota, that type of thing. Those guys you're depending on a little bit more patterns, taking trails, you're sitting stands, potentially trying to pattern these guys. These guys are a little bit different out here. Obviously they got, you know, just big wide open terrain and they could just go any direction. They have 360 degrees to work with where, you know, some of the other ones are going to get on the trails where it's thicker, you know, the typical white tail. So in that aspect, yeah, it's very different. But the other side of it and is what I've learned over the last couple of years. In the beginning, I used to treat them a lot more like a mule deer, mm-hmm. spot stalk wise, you know, glassing them up, waiting until they hopefully bedding down. If it's not a buck that's, you know, on a hot though, running every which way or, you know, looking for scent. I would treat them a lot more like a mule deer and wait till they, um, they bedded down. But I'll tell you what, last year, it kind of changed my mind a little bit is I got one, a, a good one from a, a stand and I was out there looking for scrapes mm. and, you know, I was able to sit that, that was toward right towards the end of December and I rattled them in just the same way you would a whitetail and, you know, wherever the Midwest somewhere found a stand, found a, a scrape. They were hitting. I, mean, I, I was imagining on the daily. It, it, every time I went in there, it was, it was scraped up pretty good. I sat there, waited till it's just before, you know, that's right around when that sun was setting and I rattled him in. And to my surprise, he came flying in and you know, I got an eight yard shot on him. Never knew I was there. That's, um, that's awesome. Yeah. So, which was weird. Cause I've never treated him like that before. You know, it was always that other way of, you know, spot and stalk. Um, right. And that's a great way of doing it as well. But I would say, you know, I agree with you on the fact that they're not like a typical whitetail, but there are certain things that you can treat them like a whitetail um, that you could use to your advantage. I've grunted them in, you mm-hmm. know, when I'm spotting stalking, I do the typical thing and not always shoot them into bed, but try to get in as close as you can, get them to make that last mistake. So I'll get in, you know, I don't know, 
60 yards, try to maybe 100 yards, and then uh, wait till they stand up. And if you can grab them in, something of those sorts, try to get them to make that last bit of movement because, boy, their eyes, they are, you know, hyper alert. Super. So, Super. Everything to wants to kill them. Yeah. Everything. Oh, I mean, 100%. bobcats, I mean, the only thing that doesn't probably hunt them is fox. You know, uh, yeah, bobcats, coyotes, lions, bears, everything wants a piece of coyote yep. <laughs> or yeah. so but uh, yeah no i'm i'm also i'm so happy actually that you said it i had i've had another over the years i've had a couple of gentlemen on on here that uh that talked about rattling them in and so i years ago i i used to stand on them and i found that those tactics work really well obviously you got to have trees and you can't be in the actual desert desert to do that the stand hunting i mean you could do you know blind or whatever but to actually physically have a tree stand you got obviously have a tree to put it in so but you know so i would do it in that like that transition zone that five thousand feet you know where you had the gamble oaks and and whatever and I, i had a lot of success i um i liked hunting that way but then I went back to the, you know, the spot and stalking thing. I had success with that as well, but way, way harder in a lot of ways because, one, I'm not a super sneaky person. But these other tactics, the grunting, the rattling, those are all like super productive. And I didn't think they were all that productive for mule deer either until I started hunting out in South Dakota. And in South Dakota, I always tell people it's like where the West meets the Midwest and literally everything goes. You're spotting, stalking, rattling, decoying, calling, you know, grunting, you name it. Like this particular hunt that I was just in South Dakota, we snort wheezed and raked trees and we killed two bucks. And that actually works here too. I haven't had as much success with that here because you have to have the right situation where they're that they come looking for you, and if you don't have the terrain to do that, it's not uh, as productive, obviously. Yeah, no, and and I agree. I, I think it does work for muleys. It's I don't think it's quite as it, it doesn't work as often. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, they don't come in. But I've I've had that same situation. I've got you know in, in the middle and. I'm, thinking specifically uh somewhere in eastern arizona and i got into an absolute rut fest i mean it was bananas they were every which way and yeah i threw out a couple grunt calls and had one come in to me check me out and yeah it was a mistake on his end uh mm-hmm. but yeah i you know I, I find it works great for whitetails decent for muleys yeah because and i and i think it is because the the buck to doe ratio is a little bit more skewed especially here in arizona on the mule deer you know, you'll have, you know, one buck tending seven does where you'll have one buck tending two or three does in the coos world versus yeah. the muley world. So I think that has a lot to do with it. It's all situational. It's, it's about reading the situation and seeing how hot and heavy they're in it. And if there's a lot of competition, like if you see that buck fending off other bucks, then chances are rattling or raking trees or grunting or snort wheeze and that those tactics will work because yep, agreed. they're being presented with them now you know they're if they're yep. not if he's just all by himself and he's fat and happy he got a bunch of chicks with him he's not gonna he's not gonna come try to fight you 
exactly so. very situational yeah. you know that, i guess that's with anything with you know yeah elk hunting yeah elk yeah sure. same exactly sure absolutely yep, turkey sense. even now you've and i'm basing this off your photography more than anything but i've seen that you've hunted a lot of the different habitat that arizona has to offer what is your favorite type to hunt them in and like what are you looking for specifically to find deer in them Honestly, I love, I love seeing a lot of deer and, you know, it's maybe I get bored easy. I think most people do, you know, it's like getting in the thick trees to me. Uh, it's just not deer hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do it from time to time it, it, when, when it's, it looks like it's going to be real productive. I certainly am not afraid of doing that, but I, I love the, the, the deep desert out in the middle of nowhere. You know, some of these wilderness areas we have down here and I feel Arizona more than I would say most States, if you're willing to get. I don't know, half mile, mile off of the road, mm-hmm. you're going to have a lot of these places to yourself. I don't think that backcountry thing has really kicked in here where I'm used to Colorado. You go in eight miles and you got everybody and their brother back there. And, you know, now the road hunting thing is such a cool thing to do there. So, you know, it's, it's, it's switched a lot where, or maybe it's just the amount of terrain or, or public land down here too. But whatever it is, if you're willing to get that mile off the road. I think it's you, you, because there's roads everywhere yeah, yeah. here. I everywhere I, <laughs> so yep. it's kind of hard to get even you know you have to be really deliberately trying to get a mile away from the road to get away from a road yeah. yep. especially in coosier country and the other thing is i think a lot of guys will spend you know more time glassing really far so you don't have as many people trampling over each other uh, something like yeah I can see that. That's that's and, and it's it is the the terrain here definitely lends itself to that. So that's I think it's a lot of fun. Get yourself up on a high glassing point mm-hmm. and just letting the glass do the work because I mean you can walk your feet off. That's for sure. Um, that's an easy thing to do out here because there is so much public land. But yeah, I would say that's you know get up in a high point and that morning sun coming up beautiful out. I don't know. Just there's something about the desert is so peaceful and calming that given my choice, that's the way I'm going to hunt them. Yeah, I'm with you. I, that's. That's my preferred way. I've hunted them over water. That's probably the most successful way to do it, especially if you got the right conditions. Like to, this, this year, <laughs> this year would be a great year to do that. Yep, yep. You know, back in what was it, twenty twenty? I mean, that's why. Honestly, that is why we have the new quota. Is because in twenty twenty, you know, the drought was so bad. Everybody and their mom. We had the highest success rate in archery season we ever did. Oh, no, no you know, kidding. Just, I didn't realize it was that. Just murdering them oh, underwater. Oh, dude, we, we destroyed them. We destroyed them. And I was one of the idiots who did it, too. Like, I shot a freaking, <laughs> I shot a buck off. I, I I even said it to my to my buddy. I was like, you know, I don't know if I really want to kill a buck off of water because I know they have to come to water. Yeah, it's cheating like, at this point. <laughs> it's, I, it's, I, it's not even that I felt like I was cheating because, you know, it's still a coos deer. You still got to, you know, sure. do your yeah, thing. Yeah. But I, at the at the end of it, I was like, I just I felt bad for the deer. I felt like they yeah. needed, like, hey, you needed you need this. Don't like I don't know. It's just a, I know what you mean. You kind of yeah. got that little little guilty. I mean, not completely, yeah. but yeah, there is that feeling where you're like, oh boy, yeah, yep, yeah. It was it was one of those situations, but I uh, I still did it like a jackass, but. <laughs> Anyway, so you prefer spot and stalk, it sounds like. Yep. What are the like 
three, give me like a few different rules, three, two, whatever, four of when you're stalking a coos buck, like what is going through your head? Like, how do you like to approach it? I mean, obviously every situation is going to be a little different. Sure. But, you know, we all have these things that we do and, you know, some of us are more successful than others. And I would love to hear what your, what your take yeah. is on it. For sure. I mean, obviously, the first thing is what we already talked about a bit, you know, glassing. Mm-hmm. Really let the glass do the work for you instead of running around like crazy. And they, they see you, they smell you, you know, you're, you're burning energy for no reason. So let the glass do the work. And I, a good part of that, too, is I guess is not chase every buck you see out there. There's high success. You know, there's you can look at the situation like, is this guy just going to, you know, is he heading for the next county looking for a doe? Is he mm. spooked? Obviously, is, you know, that's an obvious one. But try to find something that's going to give you, you know, a decent amount of success. Is he going someplace that's stalkable or that he's going to bed down? Does it look like he's headed towards some kind of shade? So obviously, I'm looking for that. I'm looking for something where it's going to give me the highest percentage chance. If it's a super low percentage chance, it may just make sense to sit there, look for another one to come through. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and that's and there's your patience side of it is just sitting there and let. You know, especially during the rut, that's going to be coming up. They're they're moving a lot. I don't know that I've seen an animal that moves more than a coos. Maybe it's just me, but man, you could just – I've sat in spots where it's just endless or going through. Now, it's a lot of it's does and that type of thing, but just a lot of them moving through the area, searching for does, you know, just on their feet. Midday's no big deal for them. You know, it's not that necessarily that carpuscular thing. Mm-hmm. So just that patience sitting there, you know, finding the right buck that's going to be stalkable, you know, that's that's a big one for me. You know, you're, you're obviously you're looking, it'd be great if it's a, got a bit of wind that day, you know, but if you're out there and it's a still day and that's the day you have the hunt, that's the day you have the hunt. Uh, right. But if you had a choice, it obviously be great if it was windy, you know, just like any other animal, you're, you're worried about your wind and getting upwind of them, that type of thing. But the other part is is really for me, and I've learned this over the years because I've blown it so many times. And every, and it, it, I swear, like every year I got to relearn this because I, I screw it up on my first stalk. But it's just slowing down, taking a few steps, stopping. Once you you know you, you feel you're within a couple hundred yards, few steps, stop glass, and mm-hmm. just repeat that over and over. Because I can't tell you how many times I was so convinced, always oh, under that tree over there. I get in and I blow it because he moved, I don't know, 50 yards close or something of the sorts like that. So for me, it's really, really just that patience that's slowing the stalk down, you know, and using your glass while you're going in. Look for that antler, look for that ear, mm-hmm. um, anything of the sorts like that. Uh, that's where my success started uh, to climb a good bit was when I make that conscious effort to uh, really, really slow it down. Yeah, I've uh, lately, more so than ever, been abandoning that whole going slow thing, I guess. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I find that I I do it for a portion of the stock, and where I need to be doing it the most, it's where like my mind just like gives up on it. I don't I don't know. Yeah. It's hard, man. Yeah, it's, it's so hard. I've been I've been shooting myself in the foot. I mean, it, lately with that same that same situation. I, matter of fact, I just did a podcast today where we were talking about that, the South Dakota hunt. And I had just given up in my brain on there being a deer there. And I took yep. one more step and there was a deer. Yep. 
that's so classic. And I feel that has happened. I, it's got to be all of us then because I've, I've had that so many times where I think now there's times when I'm hiking. It's like unless, you know, unless you see him running away, he's still there type yeah. of mentality because like there's so many like no there's no way it's been two hours since i've gone in he's gone he's gone you know and i've done that same thing like, mm-hmm. son of a man just slow down but it's i don't know it's the world we live in today right we want everything instantly right now and it's it's tough when you get out there sometimes to switch that brain over and say no 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 slow it back down you know and that's it's it's, it's rough to make that switch yeah so uh, and I think for me too, like I got so accustomed to when I hunt out here that we use radios and I'm usually hunting mm-hmm. with somebody. So that person usually has eyes on them. So I don't have ah, to, yeah. you know, I don't have to do that whole like go bit by bit, bit by bit until I'm, you know, obviously in the kill zone. And then, yeah, man, I kind of like use that as a crutch now, I think. And it's kind of messed me. Up. It's kind of messed me up a few times because I've lost that. I've lost that patience that you yeah. need, you know, to to be able to find. Yeah, that's 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 very important. It's a very important thing to have. So, yeah, you know, and it, it's it's I don't know. It's probably good for all of us. That's maybe that's one of the huge benefits for hunting itself. Is I don't know, kind of bringing us back to the way it was, and that that's a huge part of it. You know, I think. In today's age, that's something we've lost, and maybe it'll, I don't know, give us all a little bit more patience. I don't know if that's true or not, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm hoping for it. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, like you said. I, I find myself getting pissed off all the time when my phone takes like an extra second to load something. Oh, yeah. Or whatever, you know, you get 100%. on a website and it's like, why am I waiting? Why is this not here now? You know? <laughs> yeah, I make fun of my kids for not being able to. You know they don't know what a freaking commercial is. You know they don't. Yeah. They don't know what it is to have to wait a, a week to see your next. Uh, you know the, the next episode, or you know if they want to listen to a song on the radio, they just pull it up that song yeah, that they want to hear. I remember yeah. sitting there with my freaking cassette tape waiting to record. You know, yep. for something Songs to come you on. Want to hear on the radio. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's nuts. It's it's a different world. There's no doubt about it. They don't know the pain we went through. If you want to call any of that pain, yeah, I mean, not all a, first world problems. But yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely not pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. Um, my dog is barking. I don't know why, but he's going nuts. I don't know if you can hear him in the background. Oh yeah, whatever. Um, I'm used to it. I have two dogs. I have uh, two Vishlas. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, one, but one's uh, eight, and the other one's like a little over a year and a half, I think. Oh, yeah, so, when they're still crazy. Oh, the, you know what? I mean, I had it. So I have it so good. the The oldest one, he was the best, and is the best dog ever. And I probably had ten of him if I could. And then I got yeah. so they're they're named Bow and Arrow. So Bo's the older one, Arrow's the younger one. Arrow is a freaking lunatic. Oh yeah. And I was like trying to think back to when Bo was a puppy. Yeah, he was definitely more high, more high energy. But this guy's a dick. Like he's a total different level. He eats socks. He freaking tears shoes apart. He doesn't listen as well. But he's he's kind of a maniac when it comes to hunting too. He's like. that's what you're looking for. That's the problem, right? With bird dogs. I mean, it's yeah. 
it's you know you, they're bred for energy and then they're in the house and we're like why do you have so much energy yeah like, exactly I bought you for that reason so yeah yeah no i know that feeling i got two of them in the house as well so yeah what, what kind of dogs you have uh, I got a poodle pointer, which is the older one, and for some reason he's nine years old and hasn't calmed down a bit. Mm. So he, he's he's a maniac as well, and then a uh, English setter. Okay, and she's pretty chill. She's two years old, and I mean, ton of energy, but you know, she knows how to tone it down. Uh, so nice. you know, especially when you're hunting them a good bit, but you get that off season, and Lord, they're just a whirlwind of disaster. Yeah, see, the thing is, I don't even hunt with these two dogs. I. I mean, I take them out to go chase rabbits and stuff by my house, but I don't ever. I taught them. I taught the oldest one, and I started teaching the youngest one how to shed hunt. And he's a he's oh, an nice. awesome shed hunter. But I never take him to go bird hunting. I don't really do that much bird hunting anymore, to be honest with you, because I got to pick my battles, and yeah, I only no, get I so many, you. so many get out of day, get out of jail free cards. So I, uh, you know, I use yep. them all for big big game hunting. But, uh, Makes sense. It's tough. It's tough to do both. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> so I think this other question that I had for from from listeners, we kind of answered it already. But what would you say are your three most critical – what are the three most critical factors that you can contribute to your success? Number one, and it doesn't matter what hunting it is, you know, obviously applies acoustics as well as persistence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you got to – it's – Hunting's a frustrating game. There's no doubt about it. You make stupid mistakes, you know, and there's a lot of things that are completely out of your control. You know, the animal zigs when you're zagging. There's whatever it is. So it's just it, it eventually turns into a numbers game. You know, it's uh, if you could get out there, you get better as you get older, right? You know, with experience. But um, we all still screw up. So it's just a matter of staying out there. I think I preach this more than anything is, is what I do with myself is I go out and I'm like, okay, I have five days to hunt. Come hell or high water, I am not leaving that bad. I don't care how bad the hunting is. There's no excuse in my head that's going to pull me out of there for those five days because I committed to that. And the craziest things happen at the last minute or, you know, at any time, you, you know, we've all watching up shows where everybody's like, Oh, you know, it's 20 days in. And then all of a sudden we thought we weren't going to get something and then it, it happens. So mm. you want to be there when it happens. So the persistence, I think when you're seeing guys out there killing every year, it's because they're persistent. You know, they, they just, they won't give up and they're not going to make an excuse that, Oh, you know, they, they weren't running this year or, Oh shoot. I had to get home and, and, and do some work. I forgot about like set yourself up, give yourself the days you're going to go out there and, and stay out there. Right. I think that's number one. You know, it's kind of a common sense one, but if you, you know, really break that down and 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 demand of yourself that you're not going to make any excuses of of leaving out there. So that's that would be my number one with any type of hunting. Um, you know, and that, that, then it goes along patience with that as well, as as we had talked about. Is when you're out there, make sure you're hunting too. It's not nap time, and mm-hmm. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's a huge thing. Like, yeah. I mean. Be aware, be out there, and you're hunting. So make sure, because boy, that off season's long, and you know there's nothing worse than kicking yourself for knowing that you half-assed it, or you know that you, you didn't give mm-hmm. it everything you had, and then you got to sit there for the next I don't know whatever nine months and look back and know the reason you were unsuccess- unsuccessful is because you really didn't put that effort forth. So yeah, stay persistent, stay out there, stay hunting. You know, I think that's the biggest ones. Um, use technology to your advantage. I mean, with the maps, I, I know a lot of people, you know, the whole 
e-scouting and you're going to need to get out there and, and do the footwork for sure you know put the boots on the ground but you know i i do a ton of e-scouting it really hones down on the areas you know think back at your previous hunts what what was successful why was it successful really do a post-mortem on your successful hunts mm-hmm. and then try to replicate that you know whether it be the area how you hunted where your mindset was I don't know. I think that's something I do quite often because I take notes when I'm out there. I kind of journal because there's a lot of free time, um, you know, and I, I write down the animals I see. And then I, I try to start putting the, the puzzle together, looking at that stuff and uh, and try to find a way to replicate that each year. Mm-hmm. So I think those are some, you know, maybe maybe some obvious, maybe some not obvious. Stuff. I don't I don't really think that that's an obvious thing, like especially that last one that you said to me it's probably one of the most powerful things you can do to maximize your efforts out there is to start taking account of what worked, what didn't work, or even just like I, you, you kind of mentioned this, like one of the things I, I preach to people all the time is like, okay, you have this honey hole, right? Quote unquote honey hole. And you see deer, elk, whatever there. And, Okay, so start picking apart that area. Why is it that those deer are there? Is it close to water, the feed, the escape routes, the thermal cover, the, the you know, just the terrain in general? Like, take all those things and not only the, the components, but look at them in how they are in relationship to each other. I guarantee exactly. you, if you take a snapshot of that, and you, you know, if you had it on a microfiche and you moved it over the map of the United States and you found those exact same or similar features in a similar juxtaposition to each other, you go there, you're going to find animals there. What out of that? I agree. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's where the successful people, whether they're doing it you know, they're conscious about it and they're sitting there writing it down or they're just doing it mentally. I think the successful people that can go put them in an area they've never hunted before mm-hmm. and they're successful year after year. I think they're doing that in some way. They know they, you know, they know this terrain. Okay. There's a bedding area here. There's water over here. There's feet. There's, there's the things they need. Right. Right. Find the relationship to each other, you know, and, and find, do that. And well, then obviously these days pressure has a lot to do with it as well. And try to find areas that may not be so obvious that have those other things that you've been successful in before. And I think, you know, you could find a honey hole every place you hunt, you know, if you, if you, you put the effort forth. So yeah, I think that's something that's helped me at least along the way. And, you know, and adding to those notes thing, I also put down my frustrations when I'm out there because I know next year or whenever the next time I'm out hunting, I'm going to be going through that same stuff. And if I was successful that year and I had those frustrations, I could look back and be like, because we have a funny thing as humans, we kind of look back at things and forget the bad times, Mm. forget the frustrations you had. All you see is everything was gravy back. Oh, last year's hunt was so good. There was elk bugling every single day. And, you know, I I got my pick. No, no, no. You look back (laughs) in your notes and you're like, this day sucked, this day sucked, this day sucked. Oh, wow. Then I killed something on the fifth day. Well, yeah, it wasn't so great last year. You just think it's great because you're forgetting. You're only remembering the good parts. Mm. So I think that helps me too. And at least, you know, keeping my mind focused, like, okay, this has happened before. Stay at it, you know, right. keep with the game. Right, right. Yeah. No, that uh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. 
I don't know what I do to be honest with you. I'm, uh, I think, I, yeah, I probably do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I, I would say on the on the hunts that I have success, yes. But the hunt that I didn't have success, it was all crap, and that's well, not yeah. good either. Yep, because that, you know, there was plenty of opportunities that were created. You know, sure. And that's that's the you know, and I get that I do that too. And it's kind of the woe is me thing. Well, everything mm. sucked out there. Like, no, it didn't. <laughs> right. You, I screwed up is what ended up happening. But look at those as well. You know, did I rush a shot? Did I you know say, oh, this is my only opportunity? Or you know, did I let them walk in and get into a good position? And you know, I screw up constantly. I'm just trying to do it less. So, yeah, uh, you know, it, I found it's helped me. Yeah, that's huge. Now, equipment wise. So I get people asking me this all the time and I have my, again, this is boiled down from, from some, some experiences and so on and so forth. But like, do you have a problem with Kuzier, we'll call it string jump or whatever, but ducking your arrow? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I do this with most whitetail and especially, you know, obviously distance is going to make a difference. Are they are they kind of alert to you? Do they kind of, you know, you can tell when an animal is, is kind of on that, that almost ready to take off type of fate, you know, stage. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I, I aim low. I, I do, you know, it's, it's, I aim kind of where the, uh, you know, heart shots and then more than likely you're going to get lungs, you know, like last year's, I they totally wasn't aware of me, had no idea. So that wasn't an issue, but I'm going to say nine times out of 10, those suckers, duck you know so i would aim low gotcha now do you try to shoot a lighter setup or like a faster setup or anything like that you know i keep the same thing throughout the year i'm not much into i'm not really a, an equipment techie type guy when it comes to it you know if i find something that works but you know i'm, I'm shooting i don't know mid 400 grain and uh, uh i don't know nothing crazy 75 pound bow uh, with a 28 and a half draw length. So it's, you know, it's a decent speed, but no, I don't, I don't change it too much. And I'm using mechanicals, especially for, uh, you know, whitetail, coos deer, mule deer. So no, I'm not, I'm not really changing that up at all. You know, I just feel like I, I want to be comfortable and not second guessing anything out there. Like, Oh, did I really shoot this setup long enough? Now I shoot every day on my range and just, you know, every single day, same thing over and over again. That's awesome. Yeah, we. I actually, there's a guys that want to kind of dive down this hole a little bit more. If you hadn't heard it already, I did a podcast with uh, with Randy Omer about spring, uh, string jump and stuff uh, a couple years ago. I think I reposted it on Throwback Thursday this year. You guys want to check that out? But yeah, I have I have my own like rules of thumb, like distances. As far as Kuzi are concerned, I'd almost rather shoot them out when they're further away. Or when they're moving, if that's is it that forty yard rule, which is that danger zone when it when it comes down, or like anything closer than that? Yeah, yeah I hear a lot of people talk about that. Yep, yep. I, I I feel like if a buck is feeding or drinking or you know not preoccupied with a doe at forty yards or less, they're probably going to jump the string. They're probably going to duck severely whether your arrow gets there fast enough or not or where you aim that you have to kind of fill out the situation but 
they're going to react substantially to it. And um, when they take a step forward, I usually try to time it with the shot because then they're less likely to dump, you know, to jump. Yep. Or if it's a really, you know, on their 40-yard shot, I'm perfectly comfortable with taking one if it's slightly, you know, walking at like a very slow pace or feeding, you know, feeding, walking type situation. Or they got their nose up a those butt, then that's different story. But heck, especially if they're coming to water. I don't know what it is about water. I probably because they get ambushed at water very often. They are tightly wound. Yeah, keyed up for sure. So, man, I don't know if it's the bow or if it's the actual arrow, but there's a lot of debate of that back and forth. And I've tried to minimize the or quiet down both of them. But the vein, I shoot bowing veins and blazer veins, and they're pretty noisy in comparison to some of the other ones, but, um, but I, I haven't seen them really duck or jump much when you shoot them at like 60 or 70 yards. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, that, and that's probably to the same tune. I've said that with, uh, with, you know, pronghorn kind of that longer distance. I, I've, I felt like I've gotten more successful than that 40 yard range. I'll, I'll tell you, that's a weird one. It sure can be, but like you said, you know, you, you've got to read the situation. You could, it's not super complex to read the animal, you know, when they're wound up, like you said, come in the water. That's always, I don't care what animal it is. They, they seem to be just a little bit more wary. I'm, I'm sure that has to do with, you know, who knows back in the day with mountain lions, crocodiles, and, you know, depending on the animal, whatever, you mm-hmm. know, just that's where they were getting ambushed. So, yeah, you just got to kind of read them and know what they're going to do and, and try to predict as best you can, and then hopefully you're right. Yeah. You know, it's a – I don't know if you know this or not, but when you're reading the animal, if you see it flick its tail twice, mm-hmm. it's usually going to take a step or make some kind of a move one way or another. It's going to shift its body. And I kind of look for that and, like – it's usually like a second or two after that's happened that they're going to, they're going to go. And I just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's them flagging to everybody else that's around them, even though there can, might not be any deer around them. Yeah. Yep, the, the, the okay. Yeah. It's the okay. I'm going. Yeah. Uh, yep. So yeah, that's a, that's definitely something that I, that I've always kind of watched. And I, and I learned that from whitetail hunting back East. Yeah. Uh, believe it or not. So I'll tell you, you can learn a lot, a lot of this stuff. I, I think I've honestly learned from watching the Drury's, you know, hunting mm-hmm. private, hunting private land in the Midwest. But so much of that stuff is applicable. You know, it's, it's animals are kind of animals. They, they have the same tells, uh, you know, to some extent and yeah, watch some of those shows. You can pick up a lot of kind of cool stuff off of, uh, other people's experiences. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of other people's experiences, do you have a cool coos deer hunting story that you could share with us? Something maybe you, know, it you was, learned? Maybe it was the first coos deer I shot. I was down, um, God, deep in the, the blue range, the blue wilderness, or what is it, primitive area out there. I, and I was, <laughs> I was just, it was, it was a crazy time in my life, like a lot of changes and stuff. And I went down there and I'm like, I'm just going to go in the desert and kind of, well, that's kind of the desert, but go out and just soul search, do some hunting. And I was out there and I was getting primitive. I felt like, I, I felt like I was talking to myself. I was out there for 10 days and mm. you know how you start 
You know you're in trouble when you start talking to yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I felt like I was really in tune with stuff. And I got to – they they were in velvet at this point. So that was that – was that the late August hunt? Okay. And I see one, I don't know, whatever, a couple hundred yards away working up this stream bed. And I'm sitting there for some reason in my brain, I'm sitting there and I'm like, okay, you need to move in exactly four minutes. And then when you do that, go up the stream bed. And I had this whole thing for whatever dumb reason, I had it planned out in my brain that this is how this is going to go down. (laughs) Well, I stuck to it for, I don't know, I convinced myself to stick to these exact times looking at my watch. I did that. And for God knows what reason I got in front of this deer shot this thing i mean he couldn't have been more than a couple yards i just i'm hiding behind a bush he walked straight into me i look up i just see velvet antlers made this shot i i don't know three four feet or three or four yards away from me Mm. and i don't know there there was nothing to it there's no i I don't believe in any kind of you know weird woo stuff like that but it was this weird timing everything planned out you know worked out perfect in my head and it you know went to it to a t and got this beautiful, beautiful uh, velvet coos deer, and uh, I think that's kind of what started the addiction yeah. with those things. After like, that. Just this coos deer hunting shit's easy. <laughs> I know, it's no problem. And then after that, years it took me years to kill another one. Um, yeah, it definitely uh, gave me a similar situation. Similar situation. My very first time coos deer hunting, I shot one with my bow, and then I went like, huh. I don't okay. know how, how many years before I killed another. And it was the weirdest, like, it was like the weirdest thing. Like this buck was walking in, like, almost shit, it was almost the same situation. Walking down in this, in this wash, and I was in the desert, and it was, and it was uh, December, it wasn't the early season, but walking down this wash, and I was above him, like shadowing him. I I honestly don't even know how the hell he didn't hear me. And, I just kind of like, you know, he'd take a few steps and I'd take one step, you know, and he'd take a few steps and I'd take one step. And then he started like he put his nose to the ground like he was, you know, bird dogging a, a hot doe. And he starts like kind of like angling up the the bank that of, of the ridge that I'm on and he's coming up towards me. And I just kind of like moved up quickly and I got down on one knee and I drew back when he came over the top like I had ranged ahead of me a little bit and, and picked a couple of spots where he can come through and he just came up and as he came up I shot him perfect and then you know sometimes it just all comes together it's weird. and I was like yeah yeah I, I heard these things were hard <laughs> people have been BSing me all these yeah, years and I think I went like six years before I shot him <laughs> that's how it goes it's how it goes you get a little taste you know yeah. you get that addiction and that was back uh, in Jesus that was in the 90s sometime yeah yep yeah, it's uh, well. You need that success, though. I'll tell you. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 a beautiful thing to have it early, and then you just want to chase that dragon. So, yeah, I don't see, and I I thought that, and I still I still think that maybe maybe it's just an adult thing. But I've given all my kids like early success. They got they don't oh, know, they don't know you know they don't know what it's yeah. like to even fishing. Like I would take them to places where they you, I can't keep the bait on the freaking hook fast enough they're just pulling bluegills out and you know yeah well they got their still a guide on their hands you know that's that's yeah. the problem i grew up i had nothing you know i came out west and i'm like 
well, got to figure yeah. this thing out by myself. And, you know, it's good and bad, but, you know. Yeah, I had to figure everything out myself out here. I mean, I had, I haunted back east with my parents and my dad or whatever, but. Even that was like you threw on an orange refrigerator suit and you went with your 35 mile and sat and ate provolone cheese underneath the tree, waited for a deer to walk by. It was exactly. like, you know, <laughs> it wasn't, it was different. Um, so, yep. but yeah, no, nobody bow hunted. No, no, you know, none of my family did any of that. So, yeah, I had it was a, a meat run. So, but um, yep. yeah, you know, but uh, my kids, I had my son out the other day. We went, I took him coyote hunting. And I didn't call anything on the first stand, and I could just see like him losing interest. And I'm like, what "Oh yeah, the hell." We went yep. another one to another spot. Didn't call anything. I'm like, "Oh shit, here we go." And finally, the last stand, we're calling, 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 and I actually posted it on my my Instagram. He's like looking up in the sky and playing with leaves and just sitting there, not paying attention. And on this particular there's the first the, the last call i said i'm not going to bring my bow you're just going to you're going to shoot other shooter okay and i sat behind him with my phone and i was calling and looking and the coyote never really committed anyway so i don't think he would have got a shot but he wasn't paying attention and that coyote ran up and he just like saw a flash of fur and he, then he snapped his head and then all of a sudden he was like dialed in again like he was ready to go yep. and i'm like dude yep. if you were ready to go the whole time you might have been able to squeeze one off impossible impossible that age their brains are going yeah. a million miles an hour my, my two little ones are the same way you know it's just took mine out the other day bird hunting and you know i was i was obsessed i want to get some pictures of a uh, pistol which is our english setter uh on point you know and i kept pulling the camera out which is definitely an issue i had and he's just you know he's losing it my son's like well dad why aren't you shooting i'm like well this is not the you know but they want that they maybe mm. this is like a dna thing they have that blood thirst and i'm like the rest of us do like that's yeah. i don't know you know yeah. they, and it's it, you know, just attention but at that age but yeah no i feel you <laughs> well i want to thank you for coming on man i appreciate your insight and uh sharing some of your knowledge with us and wish you good luck going into the to the bow season here are you are you hunting this summer or did you tag out in january no i didn't tag out uh so i'll be hunting in december have a have some buddies coming down and get them on out there and uh so i got december and then go for it again in january so should be a you know fun month and a half coming up here sweet yeah i'll be actually i should be down south in in january at least for a week so Maybe uh, we'll cross paths down there or something. Heck yeah, yeah. Shoot me a shoot me a text or give a ring, and uh, we'll see if we can meet on up. Sounds good. Thank you. All right, John. Appreciate it. You take care. You too. Bye bye. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor. Go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save twenty percent. All one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.